Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks? What's happening? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. I'm not recording at home, as you can tell by the sound quality or the sound that it's because it sounds different because I'm in Ireland. I'm in Ireland still. It's been an amazing trip. We are having a great time here. Yes, you can go see a bunch of pictures on uh, Instagram. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I think I'm Mark Marin, one word, at Mark Marin, I think. Yes, I did get a little bit of a cold, but I'm not letting it stop me. I'm not letting it hold me back. Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane is on my show today, and I don't even think he's here for a particular reason. I think he was just around. I mean, he's got he's always doing things, but uh, we wanted to get him for a while, and then he just decided to come by. So that's going to happen. I'm sorry about my cold, and I'm sorry about the sound quality. It's bouncing around in this place. It's been amazing. Uh, here in Ireland. I, I really feel at home here. I don't know much about the history of the place, nor uh, do I know. Yeah, I don't I don't know much about it at all, but I just feel very connected to it. I don't know why. I think it's something to do with the um, the nature of the people and the nature of the land itself. I started to think about it on a deeper level. This entire island it's an island, right? And it's so, it's just a tangle of roots and rocks. The entire thing is this living organism that has lived for eons, for centuries, for thousands of years. You can feel the life of the land beneath you in a very organic way, but it's finite and unique. And it's just the, the, the way it engages with the, with the atmosphere up here and the way the people are so connected to it, they seem to just be natural extensions of the actual life of the rock and moss and peat and roots and heather and stuff yeah it's all connected man see see that's why poetry comes from here because there's a direct connection to the entanglements of organic matter that uh, connect the entire world slowly it's all going away it will all die did that not end well or did that end in an irish way I would say it ended in an Irish way. So we left Dublin, drove up to Donegal. I don't want to pronounce it wrong. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it wrong. County Donegal, okay, which is pretty intense up there. The weather was intense. It changed every few minutes. It was windy. It was raining. It was cold. It was sunny, but always green and beautiful. 
everywhere you look here, green and beautiful and scenic. There's like the clouds, the gray, the colors that happen when the sun comes out. It's fucking insane. Everywhere you look, we're driving, we're like, oh, 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 oh. Should we pull over and do this at a rest area? Because we shouldn't do this while we're driving. (laughs) Everything is beautiful up here, and it's fucking amazing. But you know what else I noticed that's amazing? No signage, no billboards, no garbage along the streets, but also no no street lamps. Makes it tricky to drive. And I, I might add... I am now vehicularly ambidextrous. I did it. It's pretty fucking weird, man. And I thought she was going to have to do it all because I was a coward. And she had been here once before. And she was like, I don't have any problem with driving on the wrong side of the road. And uh, I, I said, yeah, I could probably do it. But in my heart, I was like, that's fucking crazy. How do you do that? And it took a while. But I, I, I stepped up and I did it. And I, and I think I mastered it. I think I mastered it. There is an issue when you drive on the left side of the road where you tend to want to run the car into a wall or whatever's on the left side of the road. I don't know why that happens. The, the streets are very narrow here, the highways. And you see another car coming, and you think you're right in the lane, but then all of a sudden you hear the car hitting the shrubbery or about to go off to the other side. And you think, like, why the fuck is that happening? I know these roads are just enough, they're just wide enough for a car. I shouldn't be afraid. And eventually you start to work against your instinct to drift to the left and you just kind of, you just hold on. And when, you, when a car comes by you on the right, you just go, I know I'm okay. I can see the line and it goes by you, but you still flinch. But after a while you get used to it. And then you start to actually think like, fuck them. They're on the other side. Let them move. And I don't know if that's me being an American and not very polite, but So I can do that now. I can drive on both sides confidently without even understanding the street signs here. I'm sitting in a large living room, almost in the ocean, with a a wood-burning stove. But it's not wood-burning. It's not a wood-burning stove. It's I went out and bought bricks of peat, peat bricks, that they dig out of the ground. They make fuel that you burn in an oven or a stove to heat your house from the ground, from the living organism. This is how it all feeds itself. This is how it all comes together. This is an island almost entirely made of rock and mulch, bog, roots, decomposing organic matter. I went out and bought like two dozen bricks of it for five dollars and i'm burning it right now peat it's a brown deposit resembling soil formed by the partial decomposition of vegetable matter in the wet acidic conditions of bogs and fens and it's often cut out and dried for use as fuel and also in gardening that came right from my memory not for, I just remembered that. I didn't read that from the wiki page. Fucking spectacular cliffs. Breathtaking cliffs. To the point where I almost lost the woman I'm with over the cliff because she was so excited. She went right to the edge of it, testing me, testing me to see if I would 
step out and save her from herself. And I said, hey, what the fuck are you doing? It's windy up here. Don't be stupid. And she went, okay. And she wandered around like a child. And then she went back out there. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Come back in. And I think that was concern, but also just the hassle of dealing with a corpse in another country is not something I wanted to deal with. Not on my vacation. I mean, you've got to wait there. They've got to go get her. The bottom of the thing. Airlift her out. Phone calls have to be made. And we haven't even told some of our family that we're together. So I don't want to be in the position where I'm like, hey, uh, I, <laughs> I know you didn't know about us, but there's a bigger problem. She fell off a cliff in Ireland. And I'm sorry, but can, can I leave this package here? That didn't happen. We went to Giant's Causeway, which is something I always wanted to fucking see just from the pictures. Those goddamn octagon rocks. Is that how many sides they have? They're, they're geometrically shaped. They're octagon rocks. And you see pictures of them. And I'm like, where's that? I've been saying that for fucking eight years about Ireland and about Giant's Causeway. And we saw that. And then someone pointed out to me, that's from the cover of the Houses of the Holy Record, which I didn't know. Those are those rocks. I was there. But those strange elfin children were not climbing about on the rocks. Yesterday we did. What, what did we do yesterday? Nothing. I read the script for a movie I'm going to be in. Yeah, it's been announced. I'm going to be in a movie called Respect. It's a biopic of Aretha Franklin up to a point. And uh, I play Jerry Wexler. So I read that script and I studied it a bit. Anyways, we took one day because I got a cold and it was the day to do that. So today we went to Galway, had a lovely time, had a tour guide, friend of a friend named Colin, took us around. I'm going to hike up that mountain across the way. I'm pointing now, folks, to a religious mountain that's right across from where I'm staying. Tomorrow morning, whether I'm sick or not, whether it's raining or not, I'm hiking up to the top I'm gonna, I'm, I, because it feels mystical to me. I need to do it. It's a lot of really old, old, old Christian shit here. Like old. I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm just saying. It's bordering on primitive. Anyway, going to hit the Christian mountain. Sunday we go to Spain for the film festival, which is why we came with sort of trust. We're taking the film to Giron. Is that how you say it? G-I-J-O-N. Is, there's a film festival there. And sort of trust is going to be playing there. So we're taking the film there. All right, detectives. Can you smell the peat fire? Can you smell the bog bricks burning? Fucking love this country. Nathan Lane came to my house. Lovely man. Extremely talented man. All I know is that somehow he, he went on Twitter and he cracked a code. It's not that hard to crack, but it's a real thing. And I just want to say for him and for you that this was a great talk. And you'll understand why I'm putting emphasis on that. It's for Nathan, really. And he's still a, uh, he's currently a recurring character on Modern Family, now in its final season on ABC after 10 years. And he's currently shooting the Penny Dreadful spinoff series, City of Angels, which is shooting now and will air on Showtime. But most of this 
but not it's it's sort of like the lily taylor situation this was another chat that we've been trying to do for a long time he was in la and had the time on his schedule and he came over to talk and it was a great talk nathan i'm saying that to you i'm saying that to the people and i will post that on twitter this is me talking to nathan lane i'm in ireland this happened back in california me and Nathan. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts what is this incense it's incense that i never burn (laughs) i think that's a telling sign i'm afraid that it's going to set off the alarm i i like there's there's a nice smell in here and i was i'm surprised because you have cats well, that's what people have said. So you're the second person that said that recently. Really? That I don't understand how you can have cats and your your whole house doesn't smell like cat pee or shit. I don't know how, I don't know why that is. I, I, was, I you probably, I'm wearing patchouli. That, that might be it. Ah. Uh, yeah. I was, and, why uh, I was thinking about the 70s. Also, you should. All of, all of a sudden. Yeah, that's just, what patchouli does. Yeah. Were you really though? Yeah, sure. Be- uh, no, before you- Patchouli, before- and they, 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 as I were coming down, I, sm- I smelled patchouli. Yeah. And- um, So you've never been to Glendale, but you've been to Burbank. And anonymous sex. Yes. There's a, well, not so much here. And it's not anonymous. Yeah. Yeah, Glendale no. is not a big anonymous sex stop, I don't think. <laughs> well, not yet. Yeah. Any places, though, now with the apps. You know what I mean? Oh, the apps. Can you imagine? <laughs> now we're just two old Jews on a park bench, aren't we? Yeah. The apps. Speaking oh, of apps. How many do you have <laughs> on the phone? I my, can't work my phone. Uh, my, my, my grandson put one on. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I open it. I don't know what it is. He told me I don't know. I did a lot of research. Uh, before this yeah yeah so I you know and I'm familiar with your stand up I'm a fan of your stand up oh oh, you did research on me yeah oh okay of of course what'd you come up with so here's the here's what I what I saw are we recording yet sure (laughs) we've been recording yes oh so um and I noticed on your Twitter Uh account I'm I'm very I'm not doing that a lot but But you have a picture of your guests. And yes, you say, I do that. And, yeah. and you fill people in on yep. who they are, what yep. they've done. The topics. And then at the end, it says, good talk. Good talk. But in some, <laughs> it says, great talk. And I thought, 
now there he's given some thought to that and i so i thought because i have a i'm emotionally fragile i'll be looking i'll be looking to see if i got good talk or great talk <laughs> no, now if you gave me a great fucking talk yeah i would be yeah thrilled i could i could get by for the next week no one has ever called me on that but you're 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 right in in assuming that there is you know danny devito I, got a great talk of course. woody harrelson good talk yeah. good good didn't change my life didn't <laughs> i never cried but it was good well i can tell it you it was nice yeah no it was good it was good you know, there, there, there's something. Sometimes you connect, and I think we already did because I, I don't know why. You're just one of those people. I knew I, I would connect with you immediately because maybe I don't know. I you're needy, <laughs> or you know, we're both Jersey City natives. Well, we're I both mean, born in Jersey City, so there's a connection. Margaret Haig. Margaret Haig Hospital. Yep. Yeah, I was born there. I'm, I'm a little older than you. My father grew up there. I was just born there. I don't know why. Maybe it was the only hospital he knew. But uh, my father I, went to wasn't uh, it the only hospital there? But I mean, and I don't think God were, for Margaret Haig. right? That, I don't think that my he wasn't living there then. I don't know why exactly. But he grew. He went to Snyder High School. Oh sure. Does that yeah, mean anything? Sure. To you? Yeah. So you grew up in Jersey City. Jersey City, and my you, mother was. You're full Jersey. What they called manic depressive. Yes, uh, full. I'm full. <laughs> I'm full Jersey. Wow. Yeah. That's great. You, she was manic depressive. Yes, and my father was an alcoholic. All right, so is, are we done? <laughs> great talk. <laughs> this is a great talk. It you know, really you have to understand, uh, the way here, I passed Forest Lawn and Mount Sinai Cemetery. Yes. So I'm thinking yeah. about mortality. I thought mortality <laughs> would be the topic with you. So, uh, so this it, is it where hit you're me. At? It hit me as I was going by. Well, you look great. Well, you're I, very kind. You, Thank you, you very much. You, you too. You don't seem, uh, you seem well. So, no, Okay. <laughs> Do you have Do you have brothers and sisters too? I have two older brothers, Dan yeah. and Bob. Are they both around? They're both around. So that's great. Both You're doing 70s. good. We're doing all right. They're in their seventies. Yeah, and they're not in show business. No, no. Although my oldest brother Dan, yeah, uh, introduced me to the theater. He took me to the theater early on. Gave well, me books and took me to the theater. Well, what was Jersey City like back then? Because I knew there was a period like when my father grew up there. It was a you know a thriving, beautiful place. And at some point, I remember he wanted to go back and visit where he grew up, and it was a fairly dangerous city. Was yeah. it still like a a nice place to have a family when you were growing up? Yes, I think it was. Uh, but. Um, we, you know, we were poor. Yeah. But what'd uh, your dad do, or what was he around? Well, he was a truck driver, uh, and um, regional, local, uh, cross country. I think yes, cross country. Oh, so he's away a lot. And um, yes, and then at a certain point, his eyesight started to go, and uh, from booze. Uh, no, Just no, he general? didn't drink. He was not a drinker at all then. And then someone. I don't know who got yeah. him, got him a job as a um, he was a court clerk. Huh. so um, he that, had apparently what they used to tell me well because he had more time on his hands. Yeah, um, and he wasn't driving trucks anymore. He started drinking. Uh, yeah. And, so how old were you? Um, well, I was around eleven when he died. Oh. So I was a mistake. I was, you know, it was one of those. My mother had me when she was forty. A Catholic mistake. You know, they went to a wedding, a little too much <laughs> Schlitz, and, and the next thing you know, it, it happened. So your your dad he passed away when you were eleven. Yes. So that's a big absence. How did he die? He drank himself to death. 
Oh, he did? Yeah. My mother, um, she had, uh, you know, for years she she would get him into AA from time to time and oh. he would go and then he would fall off the wagon. And then finally um, she left him. She moved out uh-huh. and took, and we, we went to, to Clendenny Avenue. Yeah. Oh, so that was one and, after she left. And then about yeah. six months, he died about six months later, and he drank himself to death. Oh, my very, God. Very, very tragic. And he was sad. Was he totally blind? Uh, no, but he was, you know, I was cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, it was, it was. Um, so sad. But uh, without someone to take care of him, he just, it just went. he just went. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't end up with that. With what? The alcoholism. Oh, well, I, I. I <laughs> Um, Good for you. I've certainly uh, had my moments yeah. or, or decades. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, but it, no, it didn't go quite as far as alcoholism, but uh, but certainly I, I there was a long period of You drinking. could do it? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. And, your mo- and uh, so your mom was, when was she diagnosed with bipolar? Well, that was a long process. And at first it was diagnosed as an overactive thyroid Oh yeah. Then um, it was, um, uh, you know, they just kept saying she was having a breakdown, and this was after uh, my her mother, my grandmother, had died, uh, who was a big part of our family and r- really helped to raise me. Grandma who? Um, Marianne. Uh, her name was Marianne. She solid. Marianne Donnelly. Originally, she solid. Then Marianne Finnerty. She was solid. She was yes, yeah. She was a great lady and she um and i would go to her house for lunch you know from i was going to catholic school yeah was she irish full she, on yes yes from she, ireland kind yeah of deal? yeah oh, well wow. um yes was she yes she uh, well yeah she was yeah did she have any, she had the accent she did and, and everything and oh. you know uh, she was a great cook and so um she uh. had died and my mother um, kind of, yeah, fell apart, and uh, this was, a, and he, had, she had died, and then he had died, and then that's when it started to go south. And she, um, and her brother, who was a Jesuit priest, oh who my was, god, you had a priest in the family. Oh yeah, yeah. And then he, he was the one everyone went to for advice, even though he was an alcoholic too. Um, he was he was drinking a a dry Rob Roy, telling everyone what to do. Um, with their lives and their marriages. In his robe? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, she was in and out of of mental hospitals. Oh, wow. How old were you? I was young. You know, 11. Oh, wow. 12. And then she... So you stay with your grandma? Uh, no, she had, she was dead by then. Oh, that's right. So who was watching you? I know. This is starting to get Dickensian, but my brothers were still at home at that point, but, um, she would be, she was in and out of hospitals and they would... You know, I can remember her being in in one place um, that was not, it was, I want to say it was in Trenton State, uh-huh. and it was really bad. Were they doing I, like electroshock and stuff? They didn't do that, yeah. but she was, you know, I guess they were giving her medication and, and, and so forth, but she would, um, I remember her saying to me, please get me out of here, I'm, I'm not that bad. And, right. Oh, it must and, have been just terrifying. Yeah. And then so she, you know, w- was in and out, and she was going through these different stages yeah. of, of manic depression where she would be paranoid and, and uh, so or, have, ve- or ma- you know, yeah, very yeah. depressed, and yeah. she was attempted suicide, or she oh. would... Um, this is a great way to start this interview, isn't it? Well, yeah, well, it's better than um, ending it this way. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let's get it out of the way. You, <laughs> Speaking of suicide, yeah. But um, did, so, like, how did she live long, long enough to get level with the medicine, or what? Yes. Oh, that's eventually. Great. Yeah. She, uh, um, we, we were uh, my brother Danny uh, moved us to Rutherford. Yeah. This is after oh, I, yeah. I finished high school. Yeah. Thinking a change of scenery might help. Yeah. And she was at. Uh, in a really bad place and would um, and she caused uh, she went to the local church yeah. and caused a scene um, in what way well she she there was a whole that's a this is a really this Classic is a whole story. other podcast oh really well she had a thing that the was Catholic a, bipolar it, it, podcast it, it, it was <laughs> Think about it was a priest yeah. at one time in her life, and she imagined that he was around and that he was on the altar. And she, you know, showed up in a nightgown and a raincoat and lit up a cigarette and walked down the aisle during like a high mass or something. Oh, wow. And yelling at the priest on the altar, thinking he was this priest who had at one time been in her life. In and, a bad way? Um, I think. This is going to sound like a Fanny Hearst novel, but when my father was away during World War II, yeah. uh, she had a, I don't know whether it was a full-out affair, but she fell in love with this young priest, a guy who was studying for the priesthood. This happens a lot, I think, to His name priests. was Lloyd Lacombe. It's, you know the name. Yeah, because she used to talk about him. Oh, wow. Uh, so she made a big and scene. So yes, and so Lloyd, she thought he was Lloyd Lacombe, uh, and, and she was, was screaming at him. And then this made the local paper, and then they took her to um, uh, this uh, hospital. And, so it was a manic break kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, I mean it was just an episode. I mean an episode. Mm. Yes, and, and she was very manic, and and finally she was. Uh, it was diagnosed as manic depression, and they Oof. put put her on lithium. Oh, and then that kind of knocked it down. Well, it it you know she she was it, leveled the balance off? leveled <laughs> it leveled off. So did, were things then better with you guys? Uh, yes, yes, it yeah. was it was better. I mean, she was always a yeah. you know um, how long did she a difficult person to make happy? Yeah, did she, well that's yeah, okay. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but not as dr- dramatic. You know, I found that my parents, my dad was a, a bit on the bipolar side. My mom was pretty self-absorbed. It was it was never, you know, making them happy. It was I just knew that it wasn't quite enough. It was it wasn't like, well that actually that's true. I, it, with my father like it I used to my mother used to say to me like, you know, wait, would you go upstairs and make him laugh? You're the only one who can. Oh. Oh, so that's pressure, and that's but that's pressure too. Sure, it's very moving, but it's pre- oh, it's horrible. It's, it's, <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? It's like, and then I end up in comedy, of course. Yes, you know of what I course. mean. I end up in making people laugh and resenting them for laughing. Oh no, come on, I'm Jesus, kidding. that's I, well, that's sort of what, don't you know. You love the people, don't you love the audiences? <laughs> no, I have a, I definitely have a love hate relationship with audiences. Always have. So when did she was she able to see your success? How old do you? Yes, when she passed, uh, uh, I uh, she was eighty four, so she had seen a few things. Yes, and, well, that's great, and, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. No, it was it was wonderful that she got to see that. And uh, did that? Did she think you were good then? She would always say. Um, <laughs> you know, she would say things like, it would be some big Broadway opening night, and yeah. she would say, it was very cold in the theater. <laughs> um, but she would say, um, 
She always used to say to me, I'm not saying this because I'm your mother. I'm saying it because it's true. You were the best one. <laughs> <laughs> you were the best one. You were the best one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So your parent, your your brothers are like a decade older. Your your next oldest brother is like that much older. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they they. I was the mistake. Yeah, I get yeah, it. They but weren't they planning were, that. But so. they were. But you were able to at least see some way of getting older through them. You know what I mean? Like they 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 were grown ups when you were young. Like I mean, but when you were fifteen, your brother's twenty five. Uh yes, yeah, they were. Um, you know, I think my brother Danny in particular, he was the oldest, and I think he felt a responsibility in some way to be the father figure yeah. and to look out for me. And but and which is, I think, partly why he, for some reason, you know, might have been this. Um, I, whenever I was about 10 or 11, yeah. I guess, and they took me out uh, to throw a football around. <laughs> Yeah. I think, you know, there are many things at play on this day. Yeah. And so they're throwing me the football yeah. and I'm, you know, and I'm catching it. And, you know, it's, an, it's but it's not going well. And then finally, my brother Bobby always tells me this story. He always brings it up. Yeah. <laughs> and says, and you call us over and you very seriously handed us the football. Yeah. And you said, listen, I'm not a sportsman. Who says that at ten? Who says sportsman? Unless you're, it's like in Victorian times. Um, anyway, that's what I said. Is that so? That's what you said when you came out. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, and it still wasn't enough. How how gay do I have to be? They were all upset that I, I, I was interviewed once, and I said the um, by. Uh, 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 that bastion of integrity uh, us magazine asked oh, yeah. me if i was gay and yeah. I, I said at the time i said i'm 40 single and i work a lot in the musical theater you do the math what do you need flashcards and um it still wasn't enough <laughs> they they wanted the word so um uh yes my brother it was my brother danny who really sort of who took me to theater in in New York? And when when you were younger, though, were did, were you interested in it, or were you like you know doing it in high school, or were um, you just uncomfortable? Or I <laughs> just uncomfortable. <laughs> well, um, no, I I was a voracious reader. Yeah, and I uh, um, because of this being being exposed to theater, I I joined a, a play of the month club called the Fireside Theater. They used to send me plays and. Uh, I remember the first play I got was The Odd Couple by Neil Simon. When you were in high school? Uh, yeah. So like well, the, even younger. You the know, actual, even, was it? Even before high school, I was reading plays. And, like from French's? Like the, the actual little play scripts? No, you, well, this was, you know, the sort of a published version. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. It was, wasn't the sort of that, yeah, the Samuel French stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Until that came later. But and one of the first ones you remember reading was The Odd Couple? Is that you? Uh, the Odd Couple and and uh, Eugene O'Neill, you know, the Iceman Cometh, and, and so this uh, is stuff you read when you were a kid, and you ended yeah. up being in. Y yeah, it was a prophecy. Yeah, really. Yeah, Simon Gray, uh, the Simon Gray play Butley. Yeah, a, a lot of these things. He took me, Dan my brother Danny took me to see Alan Bates in Butley on Broadway. It was good. <laughs> 
it was it was a a classic Simon Gray play, and it was very funny. And, I don't know enough about theater. Yeah, well, so you have to. He's you, a British, a wonderfully, um, I think, uh, underappreciated British writer. He wrote yeah. uh, a play called Quartermain's Terms, which was a big success, and. I did a play of his eventually called The Common Pursuit off Broadway. And do you so, like British comedy in general? Do I like British comedy in general? I like uh, um, all kinds of comedy, but I, I, I certainly like British comedy. Yeah. British well, I mean, because there's a, right. Well, there's just a specific tone. Like, you know, like if you do the producers, or you do the odd couple, or you do uh, 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 the, the forum play, classically Jewish written stuff. There's a pace. Even when to it's it. set in ancient Rome. Sure. Yes. Doesn't that have that pace? I mean, you've done you've done two things that uh, I think Zero Mostel started. Yes, that's right. Isn't that right? Sure. Yeah. But uh, but like there's a, a pace to it that there's a and you can do it. Like you know, you can do it as good as a Jew. <laughs> well, I that is high praise indeed. Well, I think it must be the Jersey thing, or I don't know what. Yeah, no, I know it's. I am. I've played many Jewish characters. Yeah. and people because um, I changed my name to Nathan. They thought my, they just assumed my, they assumed that so, I'm I'm Jewish. So you had a lot, you had to deal with that. Your entire theatrical career is old <laughs> Jewish women coming up to you, going, "You're very good. You're a real mensch." We. we <laughs> You are something. Um, do you want to meet I, my daughter, I, Rachel? Oh, sure. I <laughs> I do remember a woman saying that after Guys and Dolls, saying, you were very good. And uh, and I said, you know, and I could tell she, there was something about her. I just said, oh, yeah? I, and she said, and I saw Sam Levine. And I said, oh, I wasn't better than Sam Levine? And she said, no, come on, that was Sam Levine. <laughs> You were very good. <laughs> that was Sam Levine. Come on, don't get don't get ahead of yourself. That's right. Don't get too big for your britches. So you're going to theater when you're we're a kid because your brother's taking. He liked yes. the theater too. Apparently, or, <laughs> yeah. Or he, he, was he just trying he, to guide you somehow? Or I, did he I, did he say this kid's going to be an actor? He's got I, something. I don't know, but he you know he was his, friends of his were putting on a play in in college. And he volunteered my services. It was the first time I acted because they were, they were doing this play where they needed a a, a, a kid to yeah. show up in the second act for, yeah. and do it was a, a short scene. And so he said, uh, "My my brother will do it." Yeah. And uh, he came home and told me that I would be doing this. So yeah. I was in I was in this play. It was a Frank Gilroy play called "Who'll Save the Plowboy?" Uh huh. And um, you were the plowboy. No, oh. um, but um, I had to, you know, I was brought on and... and uh, it was in Jersey? At- this was a Jersey, uh, 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 this was Jersey City State College. Yeah. And I... Um, How'd you do? You came on? Well, I, th- you know, I got some laughs. Yeah. And then um, I was drunk with power. Yeah. And then I just remember they had an opening night party, but I was, they, I was too young to go. I was sent home and yeah. I, I was really upset. <laughs> about that that I couldn't go to the opening night party because I was a part of the cast how old were you I was very indignant I don't know nine ten <laughs> why uh, can't I I have no idea why party I, with the adults that's right um, but so do you think that's where you sort of got the bug to do it sure do you, really I mean, yeah yeah and also reading about 
you know, I was fascinated by um, the Algonquin Round Table. Uh, you know, witty yeah, yeah. alcoholics. Yeah. And, in New York. Uh, yeah, in New York. Yeah, just across the river. It seems so exotic. And that the, must have been wild to be in, in Jersey City and know that it was just over there. So close and yet so far. Right? Yeah. Do you ever think about that? Like you only made it across the river. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I would go to New York, or go yeah. to sea plays in New yeah. York as a kid, I would, I would think I could never live here. It's terrifying. Yeah. So you leave Jersey City... Where how does it where do you how do you start acting? You know, I did plays in high school, and then I was going to go to um, St. Joseph's College in Philadelphia. I had uh, we, I had we Catholic had, College. We had no money, so I got a drama scholarship, and my brother Danny drove me there. And um, I was you know I had a, a government loan and a student loan, and um, and then they told me that I owed them more money, and I was going to have to take out another loan or something, and this was very upsetting to me yeah and my brother said well look you know if you're that upset if you, he said you could take a year and and work and make money yeah and, and you don't have to go to college right now and i don't think he was expecting me to say okay yeah <laughs> but that's what i did i said okay i'm not gonna go we went back and got the bags out of the room and i went back to jersey city and Again, whoever, somebody, somewhere, someone got me a job as a, uh, I was a bail interviewer. Um, anyone who was arrested in Jersey City was brought to me, and I would have to fill out the uh, paperwork for the court clerk to see if they, uh, he would determine whether they'd be released on their own recognizance. Really? Yes. That I, was it. I did this for about three weeks. Uh, by, that, but that was the, the job. That was the job. Who got you that job? I was a bail job? a bail interviewer at the seventh precinct in Jersey. What, City. Did they remember your dad or something? I don't know, but it it was I I I don't even remember how this came about. But, um, uh, yes, people would be brought in screaming and covered in blood. <laughs> and really? I'd be saying, uh, 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 do you own any real estate? <laughs> you know, it, was, it, was, it was terrible. Um, Must have been scary. Very, a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks you lasted. I lasted three weeks. And yeah. then I had worked with a theater company called the Halfpenny Playhouse. Where's that? It was it was in it was a theater in residence at uh, Uppsala College in East Orange, U, uh, New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, and they had a little theater there, and I had done some shows with them. Was it like a radical theater? Uh, not at all. Oh, no, it very, wasn't like the late sixties. Oh no, no, not no. not no 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 Cafe La Mama. This was um, this was they were doing musicals and, okay. and plays. Did you do a lot of musicals then? Uh, I did a few musicals, and then they were doing a um, musical review about the history of New Jersey called Jerz, J-E-R-Z. When is in that? Fact, we wore gold sweatshirts that had said J-E-R-Z. You need to, you need to do a production the, of this now. And, and You need to um, revive this. Nathan, let's revive Jerz. It was going to tour schools because the, the yeah. bicentennial was coming up. 70, yeah, 76. Yeah, this was in, 70, in 76. So they were booked and, and you know, that was sort of the the beginning. Oh. I, I, I uh, So I didn't, I, I, I left the, um, the seventh precinct, and yeah. he started uh, this musical review. Jers, it was um, musical uh, review. I, I did it for quite a while. You did? Yes, I I did a lot of things for that. I did a, a musical about. Uh, for a minute, it seemed like we were going to go metric. We did a, a <laughs> we did a musical review called One for Good Measure. That's how I got my equity card. That's how I got my union card. Were, were you doing this for kids? 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So jurors wasn't no, for the grown-up no, audience. Two, can you measure the two-drink minimum? Yeah, with the with for one. One for good measure. <laughs> so you're trying to teach people the metric the system? The metric system, ladies and gentlemen. And that's how you got your equity card. That was how I got my equity card, yes. Oh, these were, what great days. <laughs> Not really. No. But it's, it's the beginnings. So you didn't have any acting training? I, no, for a long time I didn't. Then- I took, I went to the Stella Adler studio. So wait, okay, so you moved to New York after One for Good Measure. You're like, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm, yes, I'm a rising. Uh, yes, I had gotten, yes, I was living in New York by then. I, uh, oh, uh, yes. Where, uh, Midtown? Is, no, the Upper West Side. Yeah. But then I was in the union, but then it was difficult to get a, a job. Uh-huh. I, I was a struggling New York actor. How do you join the union? You just join? You just pay your dues and you're in? Well, I, the, 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 the <laughs> musical about the metric system was an equity show. So, okay, so an you equity got contract. kind of, it's so a, like Taff Hartley kind uh, of, like you, <laughs> you, you do an equity show, then you got to pay your dues. I love a good Taft Hartley reference. I don't even know what it means, but I know that's what it means. Like you do yeah. a movie that you, if you're not a union member, then they, they Taft Hartley you, whatever that means. Yeah. And you get the first one well, for free and then you got to pay the dues. It depends what neighborhood you're in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, certainly baby. around here. <laughs> I'm going to Taft Hartley you. That happens a lot around <laughs> here. There's a lot of that going on around here, Nathan. But, um, so well, you're in the union, you're not yeah, working. Yeah, I got in the union, yes. And so I would I did um, a lot of struggling actor jobs, of, uh, selling things by phone and doing Harris poll surveys and singing telegrams. And But do, you did go to Stella Adler and do the thing? I went, I took a summer. I, I thought, I, I better, I should sort of learn what, what this is all about. Yeah. So I took a three courses at this a summer session and what'd you have at, under your at, belt you had at, one for good measure under your belt and well i had done and, lots of you know dinner theater and and summer stock and, and oh so I, you did uh, those gigs where you regional like you go out yeah. for a month or two you, you upstate know, new york do eight show eight shows in eight weeks over the summer yeah i did all of that like where like in uh, oh, ohio and the, like the, the, all that the, shit in chatham new york yeah at a theater called the mac hayden which was in a barn literally a barn that they cleaned out but of this place. was like the way a lot of people got started. I just talked to somebody yeah. else that got started like this, doing a uh, John Goodman. Yeah, like did that that kind of theater in Ohio. I worked like- with John Goodman at Equity Library Theater in 1977, 78. We did Midsummer Night's Dream together. You've done a lot of plays with him, haven't you? I have done a lot of plays with him. Yeah, I just talked to him last week. He's the greatest. He's doing guy. pretty good. He's doing very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, wonderful and brilliant actor. It's fun to work with him. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the nicest. He's yeah. so such a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. And he's so you know he's very hard on himself. But I know. He, but he's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant actor. Yeah. And we've done. Yeah, we did waiting, waiting for Gatto. We yeah. did uh, the front page together. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That was based on the movie. Based on the movie. <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> What the? Now I know why they call it "What the fuck." What the fuck? Wait, the movie was based on the based play. on the yeah. movie. Okay, okay, okay. No, it's uh, Ben Heck, Charles yeah, MacArthur. Yeah, it was yeah. a play from 1928. Yeah, yes, it. there were a few mo- yeah. movie versions. Right. I'm sorry. I, I'm just uh, dumb. What didn't? Wasn't that the one? You're not dumb. The one that uh, didn't Woody Allen act in the front page? No. What am I thinking of? I don't know. About the? It was a blacklisted director who directed. Oh, he did the, about, a, a great movie called The Front. Oh, The Front. There you go. Close. Yeah. They, the, not a bad mistake um, to make. Martin, wasn't it Martin Ritt? Directed yeah, it? yeah. It was uh, uh, um, Walter. And Zero Mostel Wal- was in it. Zero Mostel, yeah. a great performance. 
All right, so I love that movie. So you're doing all this summer stock, and you're doing these like the dinner theater things. You're working with John Goodman. You're both young. <laughs> Were you drinking at that place he used to drink? What what place is that? I don't know. He said there was a couple of bars he went to with other actors would hang out. I and think just... we went to different kinds of bars, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were both drinking heavily. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll put it, let's put it that way. How was that life in the 70s? What? The other life. The gay gay, yeah, gay, yeah. gay life in yeah. the 70s? It was well, fun, oh, right? I was just talking about this with someone the other day. It was called the long hello. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could stand here and chat, but why don't we go home and fuck instead? <laughs> it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> no, enough of this talking. What's your name? Enough of this chit-chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when men are left to their own devices. That's what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. You know, I... if everyone's on the same page and you understand what's going on, why not have a good time <laughs> with three to four people a night or at the same time? <clears throat> why not? Sure. I did it all. <laughs> and I, you, I did it all. It's, and you it's made it unbelievable through. that yeah. I survived. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's a, certainly a different New York now, isn't it? Oh yeah! Oh my God! Well, it's, it's uh, well. I mean, obviously, not just that uh, part of it, but all of it. Well, now you walk through Times Square, and it's uh, it's a mall. It's, it's it is a mall. But do you ever get the feeling, though, sometimes where where you look at like it is a mall, but the spectacle of lights, I think, is exactly what it was supposed to be. Like I, I think that before you know the seventies, whatever it was supposed to be initially in terms of going to Times Square, right? It definitely it was some equivalent to what it is now, right? I think you don't you miss just a little the, the dirt and the filth, the, the seediness, and sure. the, the porn. <laughs> yeah, sure. I remember I saw I, I remember when I was in college, I went into a live sex show in Times Square. Yeah. Where you walk in, you go into a booth, you put a, a token in a window comes up and there are two people fucking on a rotating table. Right. And you feel awkward. I was up for that. <laughs> yeah. I could you never get pass that part? the physical. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Well, sure. No, no. I look. I it's certainly it's better. Yeah. It's better. It's it's just overcrowded and and it's annoying uh, having to I make your way through I all think, of that. I think gen. I think like sort of uh you know kind of romanticized seediness has been eradicated from all parts of the culture. Really, that, that's depressing. But do you do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't think I ever really thought of it. But there was clean everything up. Yeah, and there was a time like in the 70s, even like you know, all culture was well, just. Well, it about, goes back to Mayor Laguardia wanted to clean up New York before the World's Fairs, so he got rid of all the burlesque houses. Yeah, I guess so. But like now, it's just moved indoors. Now it's like because porn is so available, you know, like you, you don't get to see it out in the world anymore. Well, but you just do it at home. <laughs> <laughs> people, people don't have to leave their house now. You just, well, I know that's now you sound like Martin Scorsese. Yeah, do why? Why? You know why? People aren't going out to the theaters anymore. Exactly. They want to watch it on Netflix. They can have their drugs delivered. Uh, they, they've got porn in the house. Really, you yeah. never have to leave the house. Yeah, and back then you, you could see the weirdos going out and doing what they had to do to get what they needed. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much anymore. Yeah. So what was the first big uh, show where you were like, I'm doing it. This is it. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Broadway actor. Oh, man. Because well, like you were like- I had done a television series, a short-lived television series with uh, Dana Carvey and Mickey Rooney called One of the Boys from yeah. NBC. We yeah. did 13 uh, glorious episodes. And then I had- I, Mickey Rooney, an old Mickey Rooney. How yeah. was that? 
Oh, well, the, again, another podcast. Um, it would take too long. But he was... Um, uh, Difficult? He, uh, uh, no, not with me. Yeah. Um, he he liked me. Yeah. I think he thought I was old school. Uh-huh. I don't think he understood Dana. Yeah. Dana was very funny, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even then, he was, you know, <laughs> he, he was hilarious. And yeah. Mickey didn't understand. I think yeah. Mickey, and, and and it used to annoy Dana because I think Mickey thought he was gay. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> yeah. and Dana would say to me, why do you tell him you're gay? <laughs> and I would say, well, why? What am I going to do to this old MGM star and ruin his day by telling him something like that? It's only going to be 13 episodes. <laughs> yeah. And why? he likes me. And he likes me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to upset him, but uh, no, he was he was. Um, uh, I I remember that we had to shoot a fifteen minute presentation pilot yeah. for the network to see if there was, I guess, chemistry amongst yeah. the three of us. Yeah, and <laughs> and you know he was riding high because of uh, Sugar Babies. And the Black Stallion, and so his yeah. career had turned around because of this, and he thought in his spare time, during the day, I'll film a t- television show for NBC. Right. <laughs> so it was not a good show. It was not, wasn't a good fit. It yeah. was a show they had developed for Jack Alberson, but he died. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey's well, number one. <laughs> you know, he was alive. Next to Pat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we we were going to shoot this uh, presentation, and we're in a room alone waiting to, you know, and they're bringing in an audience. And, and you know, we didn't know him very well. We yeah. just knew it was uh, Mickey, Mickey Rooney. Rooney. And so- And then he's tiny. We're, we're, we're sitting, <laughs> yes, we're <laughs> sitting in this room, and he-, he uh, he turns to, uh, to me and Dana, and he says, "Let me tell you something, fellas. This show is going to be the most successful show in the history of television." You know, Dana and I are looking at each other like, "Well, we'll be lucky if we do all thirteen because <laughs> with this hokey premise." And, uh, and he says, "And we're going to be rich. I'm telling you, we're going to be rich." <laughs> You hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? And we're going to be so successful that eventually we'll put together a stage version of the TV show and we'll tour with it and we'll make even more money. Because let me tell you something, fellas. Ike and Tina Turner made $8 zillion last year, but Judy Garland died a pauper. So Dana and I are now backed against a wall in terror, and they come in. They say, "Uh, "Mr. Rooney, we're we're ready. We'll be ready for you in five minutes." Oh, great! Thanks a lot. And it was just sort of him revving himself up for the show, not realizing, uh, we thinking, you know, please call security. (laughs) That was that was him. So that was the beginning. Yeah. Um, And he was also a, a, a born again. Really? Yeah. Uh, did he stay that way? Uh, uh, <laughs> did he stay that way? <laughs> born again. He was born again. So yeah. he would talk about, you know, he was visited by an angel. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Sure. But meanwhile, he'd be on on the phone, you know. Making, Yelling? <laughs> you know, he was always on the, at the racetrack. Oh, really? Oh, making yeah. bets. He was hilarious. Oh, what a character. Uh, yes. So that how did that get you to the theater? How did that get you to Broadway? So I, got, I had come out here. This was in 1980. Yeah. This is. Um, so you were in New York I for was, a couple of years, and I moved was a here? struggling actor. And it, but and this is this part we skipped over, which was that I I was in the world of stand up comedy because 
Um, I had done a show with a, another actor named Patrick Stack. And, yeah. And people liked us together. Thought we were funny together. And uh, you done a play? Uh, we had done a musical review. Okay. Together. Did and a lot of those. And so, <laughs> so well, <laughs> I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> so. Uh, we eventually we wrote for some people and then we put an act together and then uh, you know we're in clubs and, and in New York and we were signed by uh, an agent at William Morris and in 1980 we came here to LA you're doing stand up at like Catch a Rising Star and stuff uh, at, at the Improv and, and a couple of other, the old Improv the old Improv on 44th yeah, and the next thing you know, we're we're here in L.A. And yeah, I, I'm I'm at the back of the comedy store, and David Letterman is on stage. Yeah, you know, neither one of us we were actors. Yeah. Neither one of us were thinking, you know, stand up comedy was uh, was yeah. the goal, but we thought it might lead to sure. something. And we were doing just we were doing sketch material, right? Um, and so it was. I mean, I have I have the utmost respect for stand up comedians and 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 I just I, so I but I never thought of myself as a stand up. Didn't you produce Berbiglia show? I I presented oh. Mike Berbiglia. Oh, that's different. I pres- <laughs> Are you Well, no, money didn't change hands. I I you know, he asked me, we had become friends and when he was putting the show together yeah. uh, and and they were going to debut off Broadway and he he was talking about another one person show that was being presented by Meryl Streep. Ah. And he he was annoyed. How did she get Meryl Streep to present, present her? her? So uh, and then he looked at me and he said, would you, would you present me? And I said, sure, I'll present you. I said, do I have to write a check? And he said, no. I said, I'll definitely present you. I'll present the hell out of you. So suddenly it said, and he, I said, if you think it'll help. And he said, well, in, in terms of the theater, yes. So it would say Nathan, Nathan Lane, Lane presents. presents Mike Birbiglia in Sleepwalk with me. And so, which is the first time that I saw you as an actor. In the movie, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought you were so terrific in this little scene. Where oh, you, thank you very I much. I know you were playing a world weary comedian. <laughs> I know it was in your wheelhouse. Yeah. But I thought, oh, you're—he's a real actor. Well, thank you very because much. Because you were very—you were not only authentic and and believable, but it was—and it was also very funny. But well, I, I, I appreciate that. That was the first time I saw you as an actor. Well, thank you. It was one—it was one of the first times I did it. I think. Is that right? Well, yeah, I haven't done that much. You know, wow. it was before I did anything. It was before I did, you know, my show or Glow or anything. So, yeah, it was only yeah. the second or third time I'd been yeah. on screen in that capacity. Yeah. Well, it was nice of Mike to ask me. Well, it, it was it was a really great little scene. and, and uh, uh, I had no idea you were presenting me. <laughs> Not the movie. Didn't you? I, I thought you presented present, the last one. I presented the, I didn't, no, I only presented Sleepwalk with me. Oh, why? why didn't you present this one? Uh, he he didn't ask me. That's weird. I uh, no. It's, Did he ask somebody else? No, he's right. got big time producers now. He doesn't need me anymore. No. He's a big head. Can we get back to this because now I'm curious? So you sure? You know, uh, what do you, <laughs> do you feel like? Is it over? No, not at all. Are you kidding? I hope you're my new best friend. No, you're. Uh, yeah, you can stay here at the house if you want. Uh, um, so you're out doing stand up. Yeah, and this leads to what? Well. So we come out here and and um, we we made a debut at the comedy store. Sure. And then then we uh, um, we were when did the Merv Griffin show. Oh my God! 
And uh, Merv said, oh, they just blew the roof off the comedy store. Then we went out and tanked. (laughs) I mean, tanked. Tanked on Merv? Well, just before uh, Elkie Summer was discussing her artwork. (laughs) That was the warm-up. So (laughs) the audience wasn't quite ready for (laughs) the hijinks of Stack and Lane. But, you know, and then we opened for Rock Axe, Eddie Rabbit, and Petaluma. You did that. We opened for Al Jarreau. Oh, nice. In uh, Tempe, Arizona. You were doing those, what, 15, 20 minute spots? That's right. Uh, uh, ahead yeah. of the Rock Axe. Uh, that's right. Eddie, the worst gig in the world. And they don't bill you. You yeah. know, they just, they just before Eddie Rabbit, yeah. the, here's the comedy stylings of Stack and Lane. And and people start booing. Oh, my God. Throwing things. It was a, a Petaluma. Yeah, You know, know, the home of the wrist wrestling championships. Sure. yeah. And it was a sea of cowboy hats. Yeah. And all, you know, you just- they'd all the Eddie Rabbit show. Time their drugs for Eddie Rabbit. And yeah. now, now these two clowns <laughs> come out. And they literally were yelling and screaming through the whole act. And then the local DJ, who was sort of emceeing or hosting this uh, concert, yeah. came out and yelled at them, scolded them. These two guys came all the way from New York fucking city, and you better shut up and listen to them. Then he went off, and there was dead silence for the rest of the act. We were suicidal. So Um, did you, like, at that point, were you like, this is not the We did our act once in the Westwood Comedy Store, and I remember in the middle of a sketch, a guy came up and said to me, from the audience, he was drunk, and he said, if you don't stop this, I'm going to kill you. Oh my God! <laughs> they didn't. Nobody. That was the time of you know, sure, drug humor. And, yeah, and uh, you know, it was not. You know, people didn't want to hear. And now we take you to a bar somewhere in Manhattan. <laughs> they didn't want to see a fucking sketch. They wanted quaalude jokes. And if you don't stop you know, this, I'm going to kill if you. If you don't stop this, I'm going to kill you. And he was the owner of the club, ladies Ding. and gentlemen. So yeah. so yes, I did all the, I did that oh for like a year God. or so, and then yeah. got this audition for the Mickey Rooney sitcom. In, yeah, but it was shooting in New York City, and that's what got me back here. And then after that, I did my first Broadway show, which was um, a revival. Speaking of British comedy, of Noel Coward's Present Laughter, starring George C. Scott. Oh my God! Who directed and starring George C. Scott? That he was, directed it. That was my Broadway debut, and that's that was maybe the a moment where I thought. Oh, I remember he was, it was the opening night, and we, we were in the the Circle in the Square Theater on Broadway, and you're sort of, they're yeah, surrounding you. Yeah, I know, I've you. been there, yeah. And um, he was, he was uh, letting loose this tirade against my character. He was the Noel Coward character, and um, and he's reading me the riot act, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see Tony Randall <laughs> sitting across, watching us. Yeah. And he looked delighted <laughs> by the scene, and I was like, Man, I think I've really made it. George C. Scott is <laughs> ripping me a new asshole, and Tony Randall is watching it happen. And baby, <laughs> this is it. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What was George C. Scott like, man? Yeah. <laughs> he was a complicated, tortured soul, who. Uh, um, if you was re- the, read anything about him, but he was very kind to me. And very, he, very kind. And he was sort of like, that's 82, so he's coming into the later part yes. of the life. Yes. And it was a surprise that he was playing this part and doing Noel Coward. He was he was a brilliantly uh, funny actor when you know in comedy. And, um, you know, he was... 
obviously, look, uh, you know, he was t- many different things. Yeah. But he was he loved me, and he was very fatherly and kind to me. And uh, this was a huge opportunity, and the, you know, it was a great part. And um, but you know, I remember when we did the the very first read through. This is a different time. Yeah. You must realize. Yeah. We did a first read through of the play, and we finished. And he said out loud to somebody, uh, you know what I like about this cast? No fags. <laughs> so I look at this older character actor who I know is gay, and I'm thinking, should we tell him? <laughs> no. Again, like Mickey Rooney, I don't want to ruin his day. But And then Dana Ivey, the actress who was sitting next to me, leaned over and said, I'm sure he meant that in a nice way. <laughs> There's the, the the codependency of the theater community. But then he, he yeah. couldn't, and you know, and this was, a, may, may I say again, it was a play by Noel Coward, yeah, right. and he said this. <laughs> but then he was incredibly generous and sweet to me, and, uh, you know, I, you know, to be on stage with him, he was, he for all of his faults yeah. off stage, he was electric on stage. Yeah. He was one of the great, great yeah. stage actors, and... And so it, it was a, a joy to work with him. It's a great baptism into Broadway, certainly. Yes, and uh, you know, and then I, I worked with him again nine years later. We did a, a play called On Borrowed Time. And how but, was he holding up? All right, not so good. Yeah, <laughs> not so good. Yeah, you, yeah. No, we did this. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did, he was like boozy all the way through, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he yeah. said in some interview with the New York Times, yeah. that the, at, and when we were doing the play, yeah. he, he said, "I'm a functioning alcoholic." Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you must have that experience a lot throughout your career, where you're working with, because I've never talked to somebody who is essentially a you know a, probably the most successful Broadway actor working i mean you've done amazing shows and you've constantly uh kept working on broadway i don't i know people that have done stage but you are a stage guy and is that something that you're happy with (laughs) um yes i mean i have you know, I've done other things. No, of course, I've and seen as, you in a lot as, of other as, things. As time but... has has gone on, yeah. The, you know, I've 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 tried to change what what is sort of there was sort of a perception about me by doing more serious things. Well, I think I like I just so, seeing you now when yeah. you walked up. I'm like, that's that's not the same Nathan Lay, and I grew to know. <laughs> Like, I felt that you were different. So the change worked. Oh, did it? Yeah. Maybe it's just Glendale. <laughs> no. I don't know. I, I, I act a little different in Glendale. But, you know, the, the theater is not a stepping stone. It It is, uh, you know. You never thought of it that the, way. It's the greatest. Right. It, it, for me, it's not only home. Right. But it's the, it, it's the greatest venue for an actor because you're in control. Yeah. No one is yelling cut and no one is right. editing your performance. You go from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And, and in the theater, I've been allowed to, uh, to do things that I've never been allowed to do in film or television. Right, right. You know, whether yeah. it's Roy Cohn and Angels in America. You or, just did that, or, right? Hickey, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. Because, like, I don't think, like, early on when I when you sort of showed up on everybody's radar, I, I, I don't know if it was, I think it was before the, I mean, when was, the producers was, I, it was probably the birdcage, don't you think? Sure, yeah. Where everybody sort of like, well, that's- the, the Lion King, the original- Lion King. Right. But yes. But like as a- But the birdcage, absolutely. And yeah. and that kind of, it was, that was an interesting timing for it. That was sort of an important 
bit of business that that the movie and the, well and the, what? It, yeah i mean look if i had i remembered it when i saw it on the upper east side when it, the, the french film yeah Le and, right. and 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 thinking this is it's so brilliant because it's so subversive and the you know the straight people are the villains and, yeah. and the gay people are the heroes yeah and and just loved it and mike nichols and elaine may had always wanted to do it and so it was sort of a reunion for them. And look, it has had an effect. It did have an effect on people, and 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 it was positive for the most part. Yeah. But it's a very mainstream movie. Sure. I, yeah. And in many ways, it's uh, much less subversive than the French film. Sure. But uh, because I think Mike wanted a commercial success. But also, like to create, you know, but, uh, sympathetic characters for for a judgmental middle America. Yeah. Was and, a big and deal. And so when you, so you, I mean the the scene the scene at the uh, on the bench when he's run away from home and robin shows up and says here you're going to sign this thing this palimony agreement that you want in a sense he's saying my life is yours and your life is mine we're you know it's like a little marriage ceremony yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that to me is always the most uh, is my favorite scene in the film because yeah. it's um and also because it's robin and it, it just brings back <sighs> so many fond memories but um, oh, that must have been so fun, you two working together. Well, he was just, um, you know, such a, a, a wonderful actor and a, and a comic genius and, and, and incredibly sweet, generous and kind. And, and, you know, could have easily, originally it was supposed to be um, Steve Martin was supposed to play the part that Robin played. I can't imagine. Robin that. was supposed to play. The part I played. Oh, really? And then S- Steve couldn't get out of something, and he couldn't do it. And then Robin decided he had done Mrs. Doubtfire and didn't want to be in a dress again, and he wanted to play the other part. And then somehow uh, Mike Nichols thought of me, uh, but if someone in his Robin's position, you would think would have said, you know, you have to get another movie star. And right. This right. is you know, we're going out on a limb. You want some insurance uh, that in that way and uh so the fact that he, he was so generous and and um you know it was just a, one of the great experiences and a sort of a, and certainly a life-changing one in terms of career and yeah i it's so funny because i was just sort of looking at the credits a, a little bit and and i saw ironweed and i'm like what was he and i'm like he was one of the ghosts right? oh yeah yes that's right i got like, because I remember your face. Young like I, Jack Nicholson threw a rock at my head. And right. Killed me. Yeah. And then I had to appear as a ghost with a rock sticking out of my head. Right. But yeah. I remember your face. <laughs> I actually was, and I have my memory so shitty, and I'm talking to my producer, and I said, he was in Ironweed? And he's like, I don't remember what. And I'm like, oh my God, he was the ghost, because I can see you in that part. Oh, wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Because I can't remember a lot of things, but I could remember you wow. in that. Well, thank you. Um, I, that, great work. You well, really just- <laughs> Held the screen there with rock in your head. Yeah, it's not easy to. Yeah. It's probably a better movie than I think it is. I, than I remember it being. No, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's not a good movie because it's a it, uh, that that book. It's it's all in his head, so it doesn't really work so much as a film. The book although, is great. Although, although, yeah, the, the book is great, the Ke- William Kennedy book. But uh, they're re- they're really good. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, but. It's really uh, Meryl Streep's performance is is rather remarkable in that. Oh, is that, oh, I, the, oh I was, that's so I was, sad. I was there that day when she um, she did that thing in, in the car in the club where she's uh, she gets up and sings. 
Oh yeah, oh and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's and you see how it's going in her head, and she's singing well, and then and, and just, then it and cuts back, and you see it's, it's just embarrassing, well. horrible. And yeah. it was just it was just heartbreaking. So it's, it's interesting to me that like you do have a lot of range, and like you just did. Well, I won't talk about angels, but you also did uh, F. Lee Bailey in the in People versus O.J. Yeah, which was right. great. I mean, but that no one sees you like that. No, I'm yes. I mean, that's. But is that a challenge for you? Do you say like this is going to be difficult for me, and I want to raise to rise to the occasion? Well, here's what happened. I was doing a musical called The Adams Family. Musical review? No, not okay. a musical review. Okay. This is a it was a, a full musical. blown musical called yeah. The Adams Family. Okay. And it was reviled by the critics, but the audience yeah. wanted to see it. Yeah. So I was in it for a year. Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, Charles Isherwood, who was still then at the New York Times, wrote a, a, a piece about me, sort of yeah. a, uh, about sort of my whole career. Yeah. And it was a very, very flattering, complimentary piece. Yeah. Um, basically said, I was the last of the great entertainers, uh-huh. is how he put it. Uh-huh. Not that he's not a good actor, but this is the, whatever he's, whatever it is he's been doing for these last 30 years. It was very nice, and and I was very flattered. Uh. But there was a part of me that said, "Is, is you know Peggy Lee? Is that all there is? Is that what you think? All uh, that that's all I am is just an entertainer." Yeah. And I felt like I I have more to offer, and I, yeah. I I was also feeling at that point in my life, you know, at a bit of a crossroads. Of, yeah. I could do I could just do this. I just just entertain people. Sure. For the rest of my life and do things that are safe on Broadway. Um, That's this is two. This is not that long ago. You're this talking is in about. 2010, yeah. 2009, 2010. Right. right. And so, I said, I wonder if I can change people's perception. And so I went off and I did the Iceman Cometh in Chicago with with Rob, Bob Falls, the director, and Brian Dennehy is an old friend of mine, played the character. Is he of La- still around? Larry Slade. Yes, he is. Oh, good. He's 80 years old, and. <laughs> I love him. And he's available. (laughs) Yes. I remember Uh, when he, I didn't see that production. It must have been pretty weighty. I mean, he's like heavy, man. Dennehy's heavy. Yeah. Actor. Great. And he had, he had played Hickey years before in 1990. And so he was playing this other character and, and, and. um, He played the character you played? And I played Hickey. You know, the the, the part Robards played Uh, way back. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of established his career. It's a, it's a, it's like a, it's one of those mountains you climb. It's like a three-hour thing, though, right? No, it's like a five-hour thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's what separates the men from the boys. And so you, <laughs> so I went to Chicago and I did this play, and um, yeah, and it, it's, it's one of the ultimate challenges. This part, and um, I wanted to be scared, and I wanted that uh, experience, and it was the best thing I could have done. For myself as as an actor. Now, how do you prepare for something like that? Given that you're, you know, one of the great entertainers. Like, what 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 is the well, process you, for you? There was a long. I had a long period of before of knowing when I was going to do it. So, not only doing research about the play and, yeah. and other productions and and. Um, you know, because the first thing you have to do is shake off the ghost of Jason Robards playing right. it, because you you can see him in a there's a video of the 1960 television production that Sidney Lumet did, so you can actually see him do it. Yeah. So if you've ever seen him do it, it's hard to get that out of your head. Right. And then um, I worked for the first time. I worked with a coach, you a, did. a great coach called Larry Moss, because mm. I I just couldn't uh, you you I needed to talk to someone about it because it's so complex. And what is that? What is that? Uh, what's that experience with a coach? What do they tell you? Well, it's first 
you're uh, um, asking, you know, Larry Moss is he's a brilliant acting coach, but it's it's about text analysis. And then it's also he's, you know, he's part psychotherapist and and cheerleader and and also specifically, uh, you know, discussing things about the the character and where it has to go and 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 helping you get there and find it and and your version of it. Uh And so it, that was tremendously helpful. And, 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 and also I was sort of like it was it had been a long time since I'd been in that position with working with a coach and, right. and, and discussing it that way. But and was, going to a different part of your emotional thing. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly I had done plays over the years, the plays of Terrence right. McNally or yeah. John Robin Bates and, and, and so forth, the plays that are, uh, you know, that have humor, but there, there are they're serious roles. But this was taking on, this was like going to, you know, it's like taking on Lear or something. Right. It's, 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 um, it's a very demanding part. When I, when I was doing Angels and Denzel Washington was doing it on Broadway, playing Hickey. Yeah. And he came up to me and, and he was very sweet and he said, uh, he just looked at me and he said, you know what I'm going through, don't you? And I said, I sure do. It was it was so sweet uh, because it, you're it's part of you're part of a small group of men who have played that part because um, it's there's nothing you'll never be asked. And once you've done that, everything else seems easy. Wow. Um, and and then we did it again at, at Brooklyn Academy of Music. So it was it, it it was the beginning of slightly changing people's perception about me because basically I said, "Oh, you think I'm that? Well, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this." Right. And then enough enough things fortunately came my way, like the the, the two seasons on The Good Wife, and uh, you know F. Lee Bailey and yeah. People versus O.J. And then, and, and stuff like that, a play called The Nance, and other things that I think eventually led to doing Roy Cohn in Angels in America. We did it at the National Theater in London and then brought it to Broadway. So by then, it was, um, I, I had, I, I, and it's a difficult thing to do because people want you to stay. I was reading an interview with you where you're saying people want you to stay in the box, whatever yeah. box that is, they see you. Cranky underdog box. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, for example, the thing, the reason I'm in LA is because I'm doing this, uh, new iteration of, uh, Penny Dreadful. It's called City of Angels. John Logan, great writer, uh, creator of this show, wrote this part, um, for me. He sent me the script out of the blue and yeah. said, I wrote this for you. And, you know, where I'm playing this grizzled old Jewish LAPD detective who's investigating a murder and also investigating the Nazi infiltration of L.A. and takes place in 1938. This is a miniseries? Uh, this is a, 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 a series, a 10-episode series. Right, for? Uh, Showtime. Ah. So he wrote this tremendous part where of emotional complexity and darkness, and, 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 and I was like, n- no one in Hollywood would ever have given me this part. And I said to him, why, 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 why me? Um, I was very grateful, but I yeah. said, I'm curious. And he said, well, I saw you in The Iceman Cometh, and I saw you in Angels in America, and I thought it was time you, you did something like this on, on television. So, you know, I feel very, very grateful and lucky, and, and it's it's been thrilling. You well, know? that's great, you know, because, like, I'm thinking about it as you're telling me, you know, as an actor, as someone who's known as a stage actor, which is a good thing, you, you know, for you to sort of, like, you know, use your chops differently as an actor who's so established and so respected, it's different than if you were stuck on a series for eight years 
and then had to do it. Right. Do you know what I no, mean? Oh, yeah. Sure. I remember when Kelsey Grammer came to New York and he did uh, the Scottish play, did Macbeth. Yeah. And I th- just after doing Frasier for so long, and I, and he's a wonderful actor. Yeah. But I thought, oh, you need a transition. You can't. They, you've been Frasier for so long. They're yeah. not. It's going to be hard. And yeah. it, it didn't go so well. And I thought, you know, gosh. Yeah. yeah you, you have to sort of, you know. And that's really the gift, though, of of being like of like having such a full life in the stage that you know somehow or another. You're fortunate, not only being great at that, but not you know making the decision to get stuck on a series for a fucking decade. Well, I mean, look, uh, there were certainly times when yeah. I, I would uh, happily have been here doing a series. I right. mean, I, I came and, and did them, but they just yeah. never lasted. Thank I did, God. I did like a couple. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, yeah. yeah. In a way, thank God. Yeah. You know, um, but... Because I, it, because the theater just allows you to also the wealth of material, you, right? You keeps know, happening, keeps can, going. And I, unfortunately, it's the and it's the only place where I have a little little bit of clout to say, would you like to do this? I have an idea about doing this or that, or and, and, and you and, might get some people to yeah, produce it. Exactly. Have you done that with things? Sure. Where like I've what? said, let's do, let's, do, well, you know, like Scott Rudin is is a, a very old friend. And so we've now done a few things together. Oh, you did that, the Titus thing, right? The. Oh, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Isn't that, yes, that was Rudin, that wasn't Scott it? Scott Rudin. And we did, um, for example, we did the front page. I yeah. S- he said, what do you want to do? The, the, that's I, the show that I just embarrassed myself about, about you, the, a few minutes ago. That was the show that based on the, the movie. movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> The front page, the show based on the movie. Yeah, you know, but you and Rudin did that. That's on, what that, it is now. It used to now it is shows based on movies. I know, it used it to wasn't. be movies based on shows. Yes, but that was you and Rudin. Yes, and he said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "The in the front page, which was sort of daring because it's like 20, 25 people." And why that play? You you know, you're a guy with clout. You it's just one said, of the it's one of the greatest plays ever written. Okay, so now I know. Tom Stoppard would tell you it's it is the classic American comedy. But it's there was there was nothing before it or after that that's ever been like it. Right. And it's it's hard to do well. And it's it, the character of Walter Burns is one of the greatest parts ever written and has it has maybe the greatest last line to a play ever written, which is uh, there's a whole long setup, but the last line, it doesn't matter. There's a long setup, and you think it's going one way. Yeah. He, you think he's done something really sure. s- sweet. He's the most horrible human being you could imagine. Yeah. I, I love playing those guys. Yeah. And he picks up the phone, and and he, he's calling the police to pick up Hildy, the reporter, and, and stop them from getting married. And, uh, and then, and and because he's given him his watch as a sentimental gesture. Uh-huh. And so, and he's very touched by that, and they leave. And then he calls up and tells the guy to call the police, and because and the last line is, the son of a bitch stole my watch. Oh. Yeah. Big laugh, but horrible sadness. Huge, huge laugh. Yeah. Oh, it was, and the thrill was audiences who remembered it fondly or knew it was coming or people who didn't know it was coming in were shocked and like roared. Yeah. The roar of laughter that that line gets, that this this piece of machinery that they built. Yeah. You know, it's, and this character was based on the this their real life editor that yeah. that um, Charles MacArthur worked for, who famously fell. He slipped and fell and on a on a spike and lost an eye. Oh my he god! He had a glass eye. Yeah. And 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 Charles MacArthur said you could tell which was the glass eye because it was the warmer one. 
<laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so you, it's just one of my favorite plays, and it hadn't been done in a very long time. It had been done at a, at like in the 80s. Jerry Sachs directed a very successful yeah. revival with John Lithgow and, and Richard Thomas. And so I, I just wanted to play that part. I wanted to be the guy who, on stage who got to say, the son of a bitch stole my watch. And I did. And it was, it was I can't tell you how thrilling it was, it was when you got to it. That's it was a big great. John Goodman. The great John Goodman was in it. Yeah. Uh, John Slattery. I wish I... Oh, Slattery's great, great too. Like, I think if I lived in New York, I would see more plays. Sure you would. I'd make you. Yeah, I would have to. Yeah. Because I do like to go, but yeah. I don't... Like, well, I don't go here. Well, it's the great... It's the... You know, it's I go the, when I go to New York. A lot of times, Rudin sends me, he sends me to plays. Rudin? Yeah. Are you 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 oh you're friends with him? Are I'm you? Not, oh, I don't know if we're friends, but like he's taken a liking to me, and he uh, he, he books my shows sometimes. Oh, like get he's out like, of do you town. know Annie Baker? I'm like, no. I think the first time you were pitched was probably Rudin. Oh yeah. Yeah, did. because like he'll write us and be like, and do you do you know Annie Baker stuff? I'm like, I don't. And then like all of a sudden, I'm going to Annie Baker shows. <laughs> I, be, because of him, I talked to George Wolf. Stephen Karam, wow. all of them, because yeah. Scott was like, you should talk to these people. And that's sort of been my- Well, eventually you'll do a one-man show. He'll produce about, it. I'd like, I wanted to interview him, but it just hasn't, it hasn't happened. Oh, he's, he's got some stories to tell <laughs> <laughs> and, and vice versa. Yeah. But so the producers and the odd couple, but the producers was like, in my memory, only because I'm not so locked in, that, that changed Broadway. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. The producers was didn't it revitalize it, make it sort of well. A, the producers was like a zeitgeist hit. The producers came along at just the right time after many years of depressing British musicals, yeah. and Les Mis and and uh, Miss Saigon, and it was all the emphasis was on comedy in, uh-huh. in musical comedy. Yeah, and and um, you know it was also. Tied into the sort of the revival of Mel Brooks's career, you know, it was like yeah. he was sort of out of favor for a long time, and then he put this thing together, and 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 it worked. It yeah. was it was just one of those times when all the right people came together, which which has to happen in a musical, right? Because there are so many people involved, and it all has to seem like it's coming from the, the one voice, one original voice, which right. was certainly Mel, and. The fact that everyone did did a were working at the top of their game, and we went to Chicago and opened it, and it was like from the first performance, it, it was ridiculous how much they liked it. Like Matthew said, "Oh, they they even liked the bad stuff. <laughs> they didn't. They would have stayed for another hour." And he and I said, "But it, it, this is like cult film lovers who yeah, yeah. love the movie and wanted to see it." And I said, "It won't be like this tomorrow." And then it was exactly like that. Really. It, it even a more it, it was like they were so hungry for that kind of madness and and that it was all about the comedy yeah so much about the comedy yeah that, that, and it was like a museum of comedy that, right that sure show. yeah yeah so it was um and it also it was matthew and i who had known each other and we had done voices in the original lion king and um <laughs> and um he and and but we had this was really our first time working together and and so we and that's really how we became friends yeah well he's and, like done a lot of stage work too yeah like, sure yeah, yeah and so we you know that that became a part of the show really is that yeah. that sort of the the friendship and, yeah. and love of these two guys you know yeah. one sort of looking after the other and and right. you know taking him under his corrupt 
wing. But um, so all of that combined, and it was, it was. I've, I've never. I'll, uh, everyone should have that experience. I've never experienced anything where they couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Everybody loved it. And then eventually, of course, there's a backlash. <laughs> it wasn't that good. but was, Did that happen? <laughs> oh, sure. That always happens. If something <laughs> is that popular, yeah. people eventually turn what on it. What were we thinking? What were we thinking? You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. they wake up and, sure. you know, and they have to pay the hooker. Yeah. And I was like, what's happening? <laughs> this yeah. was not, I was so in love earlier. But, yeah. It, but it seemed to change things somehow. It just revitalized the musical. I don't know what. I, I don't well, know. It, it feels like. It, sure. That it, an up. Ticket prices, and, yeah, and um, that was one thing. And then it, you know, I think it it led certainly it led to uh, some other shows like Smabalot or yeah, 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 right. You know, but that kind of comedy. Did you have fun working with Mel? How much did you spend time? I interviewed him years ago, and that was the greatest thing. Yes, what a um, fucking great thing that was. I can only imagine. No, he's the most entertaining human being in the world. And and um, no, to get to. Worked with him that closely, yeah. and uh, getting to know him and and uh, Anne Bancroft, and you know the, oh, those, yeah. those times together, and I'll always remember. And and yeah, to have lived through that, uh, uh, the whole experience, it was a very bonding experience. And he was, um, you know, we had we just uh, so many laughs. And, and didn't and, he try it with Young Frankenstein too? Yes. Then there was Young Frankenstein. Did and that work? It it didn't work as well. And yeah. also, it's hard to follow something like the producer. Sure, but I just and wondering it, if it you know if it did work at all. It 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 didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't. And it was very expensive. And but he then recently, when I was in London doing Angels in America, he came and they did a new version of Young Frankenstein, sort of a streamlined version where they cut away a lot of the fat. Yeah. And he wrote like two or three new numbers. And it was a huge success in the West End. Oh, it was? Yeah. Because I think it always bothered him that it, it didn't do so well on Broadway. But it, it was a big hit in London. So tell me about like taking on Angels. Because I, I think I saw the original cast of that. And what's his name who played uh, Cohen in the- Ron Liebman. Yeah, Liebman. Like, I just remember Liebman was like, almost like spraying spit. You know, as he, like, it was like a, like a, like a wild dying animal. Right. How'd you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um- (laughs) This is like a, a conversation at Thanksgiving with an aunt. How did you do it? Do a little. Just do a little. Dude, give me a little Roy Cohen. Um, you know, it's look, it's it's one of the the greatest plays of the 20th century, one of the greatest parts ever written. It's a it's a gift. Yeah. It's a real gift. So um, but how do you approach it? I guess maybe I was just being too dramatic. Well, I, I don't usually ask questions like that, but because I, I didn't get to see it, yeah. I didn't see you in it, right? And like he's a well, real. Well, now guy. you can hear it. It's on. Uh, we did an audio recording of it. Me yeah. and Andrew Garfield, the whole cast, did it. Um, it's uh, uh, how do you approach it? Well, you know, it's a lot of research because it's a real person, right? And you know, you try to talk to some people who knew him. I tried to talk to. Had people. you met him? Uh, no. Hmm. But you, you, um, you know, it's easy to find people who hated him. Most people hated him. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I talked to a few people who were friends, who who were very loyal to him and loved him. 
and wanted to hear about that. There's there's only one real there's you know he wrote an autobiography which is hilarious, but there's a the only real book is uh, uh, this biography Citizen Cone. Yeah, and. The first chapter is literally about the two last years of his life, which is when the play is happening, yeah. and when he's gotten the AIDS diagnosis. And there was a lot of interesting stuff in that, especially like hospital reports about his behavior in the hospital and his what he was going through physically. And I thought there were, especially in, in Perestroika, which is when he's in the hospital, and his his disintegration, I felt there was a, a more interesting way of showing that, of seeing him you know this guy fighting for his life to yeah. the very end and seeing him slowly falling apart so that in some of the, and it was informed by some of what i had read which was that like there was a tremor he had a he developed a tremor yeah and he used to just hold his hand to keep it from shaking cuz he wanted to control everything yeah but it kept coming back and sometimes it would be in the other hand so that was something i used it was affecting his voice so yeah. i thought so at a certain point uh, my voice, I changed my voice a bit. You saw that was weakening. Yeah. And um, uh, and then, and, you know, then he would have these full body tremors, which were really uh. awful to watch. And, and um, so that was a part of it. You know, essentially, you know, those guys, when you play those kinds of monsters, is you know, obviously they don't think of themselves that way. They, he, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. And he believes fully in what he's doing. But it's just, it's... Ultimately, it's Tony's play, the language of that play. Yeah. You, you, it, any actor worth his salt, you, you would rise to the occasion because it takes you places you'd never thought you'd go. And it, it's, it's so brilliantly written. Um, it's inspiring. I mean, every, when we would have, do these, um, you know, the one play is three and a half hours, the other is four hours. Yeah. So, when you're working like that, and it's beautifully, um, the architecture of that part is you do get plenty of breaks, as, as opposed to, say, right. Andrew Garfield, who was, like, on for most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was always, you couldn't, I couldn't wait to do it again, to, to, because the, you know, the scene in the doctor's office, when he tells him he's not, you know, he he couldn't possibly have AIDS because he's not gay. And, the, you know, that extraordinary right. piece of writing. Yeah. One of the greatest scenes ever written. Yeah. You know, you just couldn't wait to get to do it again. Right. And find something else or do it another way. Try, I would, Jesus, that scene, I, you know, it was always the most, I, it was, interestingly, I always thought it was the most challenging. Ultimately, you have to play the human being. Yeah. You have to play the guy who was the little Jewish prince who was told he was the most important person in the world and and who realized two things, that he could never be, allow himself to be vulnerable or to be seen as different yeah. from a very early age. He had an uncle who went to jail, Uncle Bernie, who, was, who was, went to jail, and then just the notion of being different, of being gay. Yeah. You know, no one could ever know that. What was your experience with that as a kid? When did you know? When did I know? Yeah. My mother took me to see a movie called The Yellow Rolls Royce. Yeah. Um, How old are you? I don't know. Yeah. It's all. It's a, I, I feel like all I ever say is I was ten, nine. eleven, yeah. yeah, nine. <laughs> Let's say nine. I don't know how old Let's I was. Nine. I Nine's what, good. Sure. Nine, nine's sure. good. Yeah. And uh, um, this was one of those big 
movies with an international cast. It was written by Terence Radigan, and it was directed by Anthony Asquith, Rex Harrison, and Jean Moreau, and Shirley MacLaine. George C. Scott was in it playing a gangster. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was a stretch. And all these great actors, Mm. Ingrid Bergman, Omar Sharif, he always dropped by in an international (laughs) cast movie. So... Um, but in this uh, vignette, it was it was an uh, you know one of those movies. There was like three vignettes. Yeah. It's all around this yellow Rolls Royce, this right. car that right. passed on, and then they would tell a different story. Uh-huh. So um, <laughs> Shirley MacLaine is left in Italy with Art Carney, George C. Scott's henchman. Yeah, and he has to go back to Chicago and kill somebody. <laughs> so she's there for a few days in Italy, and there's a, a an Italian photographer played by Alain Delon. The French actor, yeah, 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 who is at his most beautiful. Um, and at one point, they he takes Shirley MacLaine to a. There's a cove, and there's a you know there's water, and they they go swimming, and he's in a little bathing suit, and and it's all very sexy. And then they get in the back of the Rolls Royce, and you know she pulls down a shade, and Art Carney realizes stuff is going on. Yeah, and I just remember feeling, um, getting weird feelings in my stomach. <laughs> When I saw Alain Delon, and he was all wet. Yeah. Yeah. And there was something about, he was so beautiful, and he was so wet, and he was in this little Speedo, and I was like, why why am I feeling like this? <laughs> Shirley MacLaine. I love Shirley MacLaine. I'm so comfortable with Shirley. But he's making me very nervous, this guy. It's French guy. Maybe it's French people make me nervous. <laughs> that was it. So that was sort of a sign that uh, I was different from the other boys. But it was, I'll always remember. And then there was a, uh, you know, I sort of. Um, was it a struggle though when with I the left, Catholicism? Well, when I, uh, no, no, no. I had uh, very early abandoned oh, okay. Catholicism. I, okay. It was, uh, I didn't interest me. You know, it was a religion based on fear and yeah. hypocrisy and, you know. Yeah. And, um child molestation sure um centuries of it yeah yeah so um no it was um, i i was living at home my mother was doing a little better i was 21 and i was going to move to new york this is in 77 yeah. and i had met someone and a relationship had developed and i was going to move to new york also so to be closer to him yeah and, and maybe we were going to live together or something so i and i had she, um, I hadn't dated, like I hadn't dated in high school and I hadn't, I didn't really date, you know, I dated a couple, I had a couple of dates with women and, yeah. and it just it didn't work out. Yeah. And so I remember one woman stood me up and they, I remember my mother and my brother felt so sad for hey. me and I was like, oh, this is just not going my way. Right. Maybe there's, maybe there's an, <laughs> another gender. Yeah. Um, so, um. So they didn't so, know? No. No, 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 they didn't know. So then uh, I, I I, had never, you know, I hadn't, we, my mother and I, because of all the things we've been through together because of her uh, illness, yeah. I'd never lied to her. And I had told her that uh, I, she knew I was seeing someone in New York and I, and, and I told her it was a, uh, a girl because I didn't want her to be upset. Yeah. And then, but before I left, the night before I left, I sat her down and I said, I, you have to understand she's this little, she's been through a lot. Yeah. This little Irish Catholic lady, yeah. very conservative, you yeah. know. Right. Um, yeah. You know, her life has not gone so well. And she, I said, I know you think I've been seeing a girl, but 
I've been uh, I've been seeing a guy. Yeah. And she, you know, and she was sitting on the I can still see her sitting yeah. on a couch and her you know she she went pale and she said you mean you're a homosexual? And I said and I, I myself hadn't really thought about it. I said, "Yeah, I guess I guess so." And she said, "Oh, I I would rather you were dead." And um and I said, "I I knew you'd understand." Um <laughs> So, um, but, now, of course, that was always, you know, that was sort of the worst of it. You know, she never, it wasn't like she was some... No, of course. Yeah, but uh, did she you know, eventually warm I mean, up to it? Well, yeah. I mean, sure. I think, uh, you know, really, she, she always would have preferred... Right, of course. Uh, right. I, I was straight and married. But she certainly met uh, any of the major relationships I had. She met those people and she, you know, and... and um, she was nice? Yes, she was. Oh, good. Um, yeah, no, there was one in particular, I remember her, um, I was getting a the portrait at Sardi's, you know, right? yeah, yeah, Broadway sure. actors, right, of passage, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and I was dating at the time, uh, a modern dancer, uh-huh. rather handsome yeah. fella, and, and I introduced him to her there, it was yeah. the first time she met him, yeah. and, and she, um, he went to get her a drink, and she looked at me and she said, oh, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, see, look, look at the progress we've made. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, yeah. But now you've been, you, you're married now? Married, yes. That's yes. Ex- is that exciting? Is that good? Sure. Is comfortable? Yes. It's uh, great. Great. Yeah. Best decision I ever made. How long have you been with him? Well, we've been together a very long right. time, yeah. like 20 years. Oh, wow. but But we've been married three years. Three years. So. And what was it that made you decide to get married? Um, Just out of curiosity, because I've been married twice, and I don't think I'm going to do it again. Okay. I have no kids, so. I understand. Okay. I understand. Um, I, I think neither one of us, uh, you know, is all for, yes, yes, if they want to get married, get married. Yeah. We're all for it. We'll yeah. uh, go to the rally. But, I, you know, I, neither one of us had any interest in getting married. Right. Honestly. And, yeah. then, and then a few years ago... It um, we were talking about it, and and then um, we felt like, yeah, I would like to marry you, oh. and and then it was, but we don't want one of those big weddings and exchanging vows and all of that, you know, gay yeah. shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get all gay about it. I just want to marry yeah. you, right? So we so we went to city hall. You know, the, the the irony is that um, we were the witnesses at Mike uh, and Jen's uh, wedding at City Hall, uh, Mike Birbiglia. Oh, yeah? He uh, he called us, at, like, at home and said um, the two people who were supposed to show up, his two friends. And yeah. he, he always has their exotic names, like Ptolemy <laughs> and... and <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it was like Ptolemy was one of them. I yeah. said, Ptolemy and, and Plutarch <laughs> couldn't make it. Can you come? And so we were like, yeah, sure. And it was like in July. And we, you know, of course, we're gay. So we put on suits. And we get all dressed up and go down there. And they're, they're in shorts and a T-shirt. And, yeah. they, you know, and it's it's really hot. And so we get on a line. You know, there's a long line, uh-huh. and, you know, to get get set up to go to the chapel. And, and, and um, 
they have a chapel something like yeah. it's like it didn't yeah right. and though you and so we um and I remember mike saying oh you know i said um, well maybe the lady will recognize me and he said oh i don't want any special treatment and i said that's all i want is special treatment that's the only reason i live is that maybe i'll get some special treatment so she did recognize me they went right in and then we left and they went out and had pizza went to see a movie uh-huh so so we asked them to be our witnesses and then we got in there and they and and you know, for me, uh, um, a cynical old soul, you know, I, you started to say these words that, you know, you've heard in a million movies and TV shows. And, yeah. and, and um, Do you take I, that, I, that business? Well, right? I, what? Which, which words? Do you take this man? Well, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and, and it just to say it and then suddenly it was, I just fell apart. You know, I just, I, I could barely speak. It was so emotional. Yeah. And... Um, and, and my husband is, you know, he's, he, he tends to keep that all inside. So he was just sort of smiling at me, <laughs> Yeah. but it was, um, incredibly moving and meaningful. And, and then it's just a little, it's not like anything drastically changes, but it's, it just, it's, it, it's, it's certainly, you feel that, you know, just saying husband or, yeah. You know, it just it is it's incredibly meaningful, and, and yeah. so it was a, it was great that we were able to do it, and and then and um, and what it's meant. Well, that's that's beautiful. Congratulations! Thank you very much. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you. Get out! Really? Was yeah. it great? Great talk. Oh, great talk. Well, Nathan, uh, I, it was. I had a great time. Did you? Yeah, I, I felt like you got a little mad at me because I didn't know enough about theater. Am I? I, I get mad at anyone who doesn't know enough. Well, I'm going to try to educate myself. I'm going to. Well, that's I, maybe that's this is a, you know what the a teaching I mean, moment as they say. Well, I'm going to. I think that now that like my time is loosened up, maybe and I have a little money. If there's some good show, I'll, playing, I'll buy you a ticket. I'll, well, I'll take. Fl- you. I'm saying I'll fly in. Yeah, I'll, just to see some theater. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys. I'm going to do Death of a Salesman. You know, you are in 2021. I would go see. I saw the Arthur Miller play recently with Tracy Letts because I, I know Tracy. Yeah, all my sons. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard I it thought, was terrific. I thought that was a good play because uh, I didn't what, know it was his first big success. But I didn't know the play. See, you that's, didn't. No, that's what's great about being this dumb. Is it like I can go watch all my sons and I don't know what's going to happen at the end. That's it's right. great. That is great. See? I'll come see you in Death of a Salesman. All right. All right. Thanks for talking. Thank you. Great talk. I was so happy Nathan came by. Truly a good guy. And I'm not, I don't have any music. I do have a guitar, but it would be tricky. I borrowed a guitar that we have to return to the guy. A friend of mine who books comedy here in in Ireland in Dublin lent me this little guitar he had because I wanted to have a guitar for a couple weeks. And now I got to figure out how to get it back to him. But I think we've got a plan. There's going to be a drop. Give me a guitar drop on the way to Dublin Airport. Okay, Boomer lives!